0: Good evening, welcome to the mumble. So, I don't, I can't, I won't leave the topic of KD and Draymond Green alone. We've sort of looked at some of the legacy issues that have made... Kevin Durant's decision to join the Warriors back in 2016, so unique, controversial, uh, difficult to accurately place, and why really Steph Curry at this point has to be ranked ahead of KD in any uh, list of all-time greats of basketball. Um, beyond that we also looked at some of the broader implications some of the financial aspects why I love sports and games so much because they provide a microcosm of decision making and the rationale that people have, for the choices they make, both on a micro and macro level, and how certain, shall we say, structures or laws are designed for one outcome, but actually end up having a different one. And part of the impact of that is that teams are very reluctant to get stuck on what is known as the treadmill of mediocrity where you win sort of between 45 and 50 games a season, make the playoffs and normally lose in the first round. However, the other side of that is that for mid-market teams, that may be the best-case scenario other than freakish circumstances. So, for instance, now... Milwaukee with Giannis Milwaukee is a pretty small market um, but they have a transcendent player and they're basically on the clock as far as doing stuff if they haven't made the Eastern Conference Finals at the least by the time his Giannis's present contract with them ends he the narrative around it would be that he is going to leave, that he has to leave for his legacy and that he should leave and thus that the Bucks should trade him because he's going to leave. And a similar narrative exists with Anthony Davis with the New Orleans Pelicans. Pretty much exact same scenario though they have been it seems trying a lot more different uh, shall we say versions of the team some by choice, some not to uh, to try and find something that works for, for lasting success the next aspect hopefully final, because, I mean, I don't know, I the intent isn't that this is a basketball podcast, but I do just find the microcosm around sports so fascinating. But what the Draymond and Kevin Durant fracas or uh, blow-up shows is... The challenges of, shall we say, workplace relationships and even high-profile, high-paid, literally, teams are not immune from that, even as they experience great success. And it isn't just shall we say egos that come into play but it's also the I think the fears that people have and the need for control that people have and the challenges that get thrown up in light of that The most difficult aspect of a workplace can be not that person who's just incredibly alienating and impossible to work with because those people quite often just don't go anywhere and sort of flame out, um, move on or have moved on but it's the compromises that are made for success and how that perpetuates over time and the old mentality of what teams were like was almost like gangs as in you were so, you were loyal to your team above all else you You've thought of yourself essentially as on that team until the team decided to get rid of you not of your own volition and we've talked about how player empowerment has altered that, both that narrative and the actuality and some aspects have facilitated that such as the uh, the 5 year maximum contract extension length so that means that for the most part teams and players have a lot less long term certainty as opposed to the old days when 6 and 7 year and even 8 year contracts were more, uh, more common the the difficulty that the difficulty that is that arises when you work more in the short term is that ostensibly like working there may, if we think about our friends for instance people we really really like and like hanging out with socially like spending time with great to go grab a beer with or have a yarn with or whatever we might I'm sure we can all think of friends where we would not want to work with under any circumstances just at all. We would not want to work with them. There are others who maybe we could work with if uh, we think if we were the boss. Or others perhaps we could work for if they were the boss, but not if we were the boss. Um, But oftentimes it is very... We know that even though we like these people very much, working with them every day would be quite difficult and as highly compensated highly visible appreciated and luxuriously accommodated as NBA players are it is still a workplace and a work environment and an ultra competitive environment on a daily basis but still an environment where you can have the usual workplace difficulties. Someone plays their music too loud. Someone is just so ultra by the book in their focus because that's their method and it just drives you nuts because you prefer a more laid back spontaneous environment And vice versa, all the little things that can annoy us or irritate us in the workplace. And then, so you have all of those, and then they're magnified by media attention, cameras, etc., and also by the booster ego, but also the fears and foibles that come with million dollar contracts being on the line and media and fans sort of debating your legacy and your ability on a daily basis. So you have this incredibly it's something where it's amazing this sort of stuff doesn't happen more often. Now one of the first aspects here that is different is that what started as a basketball dispute, which from my eyes, Draymond was actually in the right of, if you actually look at the video, he's grabbed the rebound with a few seconds left in a tie game and is pushing the ball up the court rapidly with other players running. Which is what the Warriors' style of basketball is: with a uh, don't call a timeout, move the ball up the court, and then try and by the uh, pace make a make a play. And by the time Draymond's lost control of the ball, Kevin Durant's only just getting across the half-court line and coming into the frame, and that, but. The dispute was that Kevin Durant wanted the ball as soon as Draymond got the rebound, and he was, I guess, going to bring it up and take a shot. But that what was an argument over a basketball play then went in a direction that it never normally does when apparently Draymond brought up Kevin Durant's pending free agency at the end of his season. And his lack of public acknowledgements or commitments to staying with the Golden State Warriors. And that is almost unprecedented because the business of basketball is normally separate from the on-the-court stuff. And normally players are quite unified in Wanting, they're quite. They're saying, you know, for other players to have the opportunity to make their choices and decisions. And I wonder if the fact that Kevin Durant neglected to sign a basically a one and one, a one, uh, essentially a a one-year contract with a player option for the following year, and that's normally just a guard in case of catastrophic injury. Where you basically, guarantee your salary and then can sort of re establish your work worth, as it were. Um, whether he expected KD to sign for the longer term to sign one of those five year deals, etc., and move forward from there, or whether he expected him to sign the one on one but make a proclamation that he was expecting to stay in Golden State. Um, And of course, with a lot of... So in 2000, and the summer of 2000 and following 2015-16 season, the NBA's new television deal kicked in and the salary, the revenue from that TV deal was significantly greater than previous years. And basically, the salary cap jumped markedly in a single year by, like, from like 70 million to 100 million or something like that. Every team in the league had cap space and room to fit a max contract in, and because there are only small number of players worthy of those max contracts, you had players like Kevin Durant signing with the Warriors, uh, player like Al Horford signing with the Boston Celtics. But, then you had a whole bunch of teams with heaps of money, which they spent largely quite badly on four-year contracts for a lot of players, and this season is, uh, this coming off season is basically one of the, is the first season where a lot of those contracts are coming off the books, and... Quite a few teams, including large market teams like the Los Angeles Clippers and New York Knicks and New Jersey, uh, sorry, Brooklyn Nets, sorry, Brooklyn Nets, uh, are, are shaping up to have significant salary cap space. So, all of these cities have been touted as potential destinations for the likes of Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving. Depending on whether they want to move to a new destination or whether they choose to stay with their existing teams. But for some reason, Kevin Durant's pending free agency has frustrated and annoyed Draymond Green sufficiently for it to seep into a basketball related discussion where, in fact, he was actually in the right, I think, in regard to the correct play which was to advance the ball up the court as quickly as possible before the defence could set up and hopefully have an advantage of either an open player or a two-on-one mismatch or something like that. But in that case, that becomes a workplace dispute similar to knowing that someone you work with is unhappy with their, say, their pay or the certainty of their employment status and you're wondering if, it, if that's affecting their, their performance or their decision making and one of the rules is to not worry about someone, what someone else is getting if you find out that, as in don't resent someone else for their pay packet, be, you should be happy for them, whatever they're able to get, and if you weren't able to get that, and everyone else is worth more than you, that even tells you one of two things, and the key to learn is to accurately assess which of them it is. It is either that you are not accurately valuing yourself, and your employer is in fact, or it is that your employer is not accurately recognising your worth and you probably need to look at going somewhere where your worth is being recognised. But the challenge is accurately identifying which is in fact the case. Now. With regard to players, in this case, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, that workplace dynamic is, once that is let out, that that sort of thing is normally not in a vacuum, as most things aren't. Normally when an issue bubbles up like this, it is a sign of other resentments and... shall we say, uh, disputes that maybe have been ignored, papered over, etc. For instance, maybe Kevin Durant doesn't feel like he gets enough respect as a member of the Warriors because they will win it. they'd they won a title before he got there. Perhaps Draymond Green feels he doesn't get enough respect for being the, uh, the heart and glue... You know, he really is the heart, soul and fire of the team and makes a heap of contributions that don't show up on the box score, in the statistics. The... Maybe it's stuff outside of basketball. Draymond and and Tristan Thompson of the Cleveland Cavaliers had a running dispute through last year's NBA finals and then even after that at a party that a heap of NBA players were at, I think it was a post ESPN awards party Draymond and Tristan got into a, basically got into a fight and LeBron and KD had to run over and break it up and maybe KD resents Draymond for that sort of stuff and the off the off-the-court off stuff. Who knows? But these issues, a blow-up like this can be a really positive thing because it can open things up enough that everything becomes on the table and you can actually talk about what the real underlying issues are if there is some stuff that in fact wouldn't just be resolved that you would never just go hey we need to talk about this because you know that either yourself or the other party would deny that it's an issue because otherwise we see things like the Kyrie Irving trade from Cleveland to Boston a couple of years ago when it seemed crazy that Kyrie Irving would want to be traded from a team that had made three straight NBA Finals, won a championship and where he was the legend for hitting the biggest shot possibly in certainly in Cleveland history, possibly in NBA Finals history the three that put Cleveland ahead with a, uh, a minute to go and was in fact playing with the best player in the world in LeBron James and however it does seem like players are aware possibly of the narrative of being in LeBron's shadow and just basically being considered a sidekick to his greatness and essentially an enabler and facilitator and where every question is basically about LeBron. Now, a lot of us would think, well, you're getting paid millions of dollars a year, many millions of dollars, and you're winning, and you're playing at the highest level of competition. How can you, even though it comes with a price, how can you complain about that? The reality is sometimes... Sometimes that's not enough. Sometimes the stuff that goes aside from what we would consider the main thing is sufficient to for people to leave a scenario that we see as really ideal and in a lot of ways it I think it was ideal Kyrie was considered essentially unassailable as a scorer He was rarely faulted for them losing, but if he played really well he would get a lot of praise. But possibly he really wants to be the main guy and do things his way, who can say, but those things play in. Those things play in for all of us. People make decisions to leave companies where they've, they're earning good salaries by normal human standards to either start their own business or to say work for a charity or something like that because they're looking for fulfillment and meaning either or they're looking to accomplish things they don't feel they can accomplish in their current situation and it can be that way for NBA players as well. does remind us is that these elevated works workplaces are still workplaces like any other my favourite music documentary of all time is unquestionably some kind of monster the Metallica documentary and that was made around Basically, it was done around the period where they were working on the album Saint Anger, which, prior to the release of the album Lulu, a collaboration between Metallica and Lou Reed, was regarded as the unquestionably worst album in Metallica's discography. this album was so what was unique about this was that they really did give an incredible warts and all as, access to the filmmakers including the band and their producer going through Therapy from a performance coach who had previously worked with the band Rage Against the Machine and with the Tennessee Titans uh, American football team and basically opening up with cameras present about their issues their issues with each other covering a period where their bass, their bass player, Jason Newstead, had left the band. They, the lead singer, James Hetfield, went into rehab for alcohol. And basically, the drummer Lars and Kirk Hammett, the lead guitarist, and the, their longtime producer Bob Rock. Much of it was them sort of sitting with the performance coach and trying to figure out what they were doing in light of uh, in light of all this, and then when James Hetfield did return from recovery and, uh, and and they started working on the album again the frustrations around the frustrations with each other and around sort of the necessary conditions Hetfield put in place to ensure his sobriety and that he did what he felt he needed to do to care for his family and you had basically a group of four fabulously wealthy people sitting in a room who had, three of them had worked together since they were around 20 years old and the other one they had worked with for the previous 10 to 12 years and they were sitting around basically exposing, opening up, exposing and discussing the things that they had never been able to discuss. Typical of Metallica, even in making their worst, their worst album ever, or will blame Lou Reed for Lulu, they made the best music documentary of all time. But what it exposed was even the sort of band of brothers we can think of as a rock band can have all sort of fractures and frustrations that are underneath it and the reality there is that there was a uh, sort of moving that there was a sort of uncertainty throughout the project of whether Metallica would actually be able to continue whether Um, whether they would be able to patch up their issues, whether they even wanted to patch up their issues and continue together. But as with many of these things, the core group did manage to keep it going. But as with many of these things, People were jettisoned as the sacrifice to be able to continue. So for instance, at the start, the bass player Jason Newsted leaves the band and it's clear that in the interviews that he presents that he has deep-seated issues and that he has a lot of pain from his time and treatment by the band. Now he made millions of dollars but he paid a price. He was, uh... He was not creatively fulfilled. He was not really respected by the other guys in the band and a lot of that pain is evident in just in his manner and his speaking in the documentary then also along the way there's an interview or a they record a meeting between Lars and Dave Mustaine, the founder, lead singer, and lead guitarist of the band Megadeth. The other, one of the other of the big four of um, thrash metal: Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. And. the pain must was a member of metallica in the lead up to prior to their releasing their first album kill em all and he actually is credited for writing several of the songs on the album and for or even for writing some songs on the second album ride the lightning but he was kicked out of Metallica for alcohol abuse and famously sent home on a Greyhound bus from New York to LA and in the meantime, Kirk Hammett was being flown from San Francisco to New York to replace him and thus, when Metallica were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Mustaine was not included in the, uh, the group of uh, band members who were inducted. The but along the way that was sort of an early casualty to keep that core moving along and functioning. As much as you can speculate what it would have been like to have two sort of three Metallica's sort of unique in that there are two driving forces in the band being one being James Hepfield as the lead songwriter the other being Lars Ulrich the drummer as sort of the lead marketer and evangelist of Metallica and kind of the creative control as it were and having Dave Mustaine, another famously strong and combustible personality, also in place may have just made it impossible for Metallica to be anything that they would be, and perhaps Lars, in some ways, recognised that. The... The challenge is that so many of the and what is that so many organisations do have these histories of sort of their journeys from startups to success where there are people who are sort of casualties along the way to greater or lesser degrees or who play parts that are sort of forgotten along the way the and even Bob Rock who sort of is the is entrenched as Metallica's producer having produced their last their the black album which was their mega worldwide mega hit album selling something in the range of 30 million copies worldwide and then their subsequent albums Load, Reload and Saint Anger and seemingly was almost a band member playing the bass on Saint Anger actually rather than them trying to find another bass player Um, which may show actually that they're sort of decision making was somewhat impaired in that rather than trying to focus on dealing with their issues they were still trying to make an album even though they didn't actually have a full band in place but even here after the album is released and widely panned and what have you and the documentaries released he was put aside as a producer for them and was essentially in a large way sidelined as a part of the Metallica world so in a sense he was a casualty of the of the documentary, or he paid the price for St. Anger. And since then, they seem to, the band seems to have exhibited a large degree of stability. They, the end of the documentary shows them audition, having completed the album, and Lars's dad famously falling asleep as he's listening to it. Um, or no, his dad, Lars's dad, famously was criticized, criticized the album, said it's just, it's not that good. I think it was um, one of their managers from Q Prime Management who was falling asleep during its. Uh, as he was listening to it. The. they audition, having released it, they then start. Auditioning bass players, and what isn't specifically stated is that sort of the guys each kind of had people who they who were sort of their their candidate. The three main guys: uh, Lars, Kirk, and James. And uh, James's guy was the bass player from Corrosion of Conformity. A band he's friends with and has actually played on some of their albums and stuff like that. Um, but it was actually Kirk's guy who they went with. Rob Trujillo from, uh, formerly from Suicide, I think from Suicidal Tendencies if I'm remembering correctly and definitely from Ozzy Osbourne's solo band. And he it seems has ended up being a uh, a stabilising figure in the band, sort of confident in himself and his ability, and also pretty reasonably connected to to the uh, to the fans, and sort of not being as fabulously wealthy as the other members somewhat of a uh, earthing influence upon them in some ways and then on the next album they worked with Rick Rubin on Death Magnetic um but again Rick, Rick Rubin is a famous fabulously wealthy famously famous figure in music uh sure happy to work with Metallica but not needing to work with Metallica. This being around the time that he was working with Linkin Park, ACDC as well and many others. And then going on to release Lulu and then their recent album hardwired to self-destruct, where they, uh, it seems, have promoted their lead engineer to the role of producer, and that's great, but success can often have that. Any institution or organization where you're asking people to buy into an effort or cause you're acquiring something of them, but at a certain point, that effort may not be reciprocated, and you may let people go, or circumstances may come un- so untenable that they decide to go. And a lot of time, these. Enterprises and institutions are much bigger than one individual, even if they seem incredibly important and crucial, and they continue without or beyond. And this is the case even on the most sort of public. Levels and to, for instance, be a musician in a fabulously large band with all the perks and privilege that go along with that, and then to be put to one side must be extremely challenging, must be challenging to the mind and to the psyche. And some people weather that very well. For instance, Dave Grohl post Nirvana has some, has managed to continue as um in a band that at various points has been the biggest rock band in the world in the Foo Fighters and I guess it turns out that Nirvana actually had two great songwriters in it just that we only knew about one of them at the time just like quietly the Beatles had three great songwriters we just never knew about really knew about George until after the band broke up the, then you have people who are sort of tangential to a group and actually go on to have bigger careers, like um, Father John Misty being a drummer on one of the Fleet Foxes albums, but then actually going on to be bigger, in fact, than the, uh, than the Fleet Foxes. Or you know, Kurt Weil deciding that he had his own vision that was separate from the war on drugs and so sort of staying friends but never fully integrating and engaging with them as they went on to have their success as well. The... And possibly in this day and age because those definitions are more fluid... And because we value individual autonomy more than success, or more than perhaps team success, that, that actually is a... Uh, that is something that we're more aware of and cognizant of. Someone making the decision to be personally satisfied is more valuable than putting up with things in order to make great art as it were or to have great success now it can be extremely challenging in some ways for some people like from what I understand there was a third member of Apple as a founder at one stage who was bought bought out or wanted out and was bought out very early in the piece for a very small amount of money which would have equated to billions of dollars today if he stayed with it. Of course the challenges at that stage are if that person had stayed what influence or input would they have had that may have disrupted the actual vision. Between, as it's termed, uh, with the two Steves, Jobs and Wozniak, the the creative visionary in Steve Jobs and the great engineer in Steve Wozniak, and that can be the struggle. For instance, with the Oklahoma City Thunder taking back to basketball, they famously traded James Harden as opposed to giving him a four-year, $60 million contract extension as opposed to a four-year, $52 million contract extension. Thus, trading away a future MVP of the league and possibly... Leading, them, leading to Kevin Durant leaving rather than being able to roll out a starting lineup of Westbrook, Harden, KD. Now the question is, would there, given that Harden turned out to be one of the most ball-dominant isolation great isolation scorers in the game, and that Russell Westbrook has shown very little desire to play off the ball ever, having two ball-dominant players coupled with one of the, if not one day considered the greatest scorer, pure scorer in the NBA in Kevin Durant, would that ever have worked? Would there have been enough ball to go around? and we can only speculate on that because of the choice that was made but certainly for Oklahoma City although they do draft so well that, even though Kevin Martin who was meant to be the centerpiece of that trade didn't work out and the draft pick Jeremy Lamb wasn't that great for them they did end up drafting Stephen Adams with that pick who's turned out to be a top 10 center in the NBA but not a top 10 player like James Harden so the question challenge and The issue becomes what price, as it were, greatness. The we look at things externally from outside all sorts of situations in people's lives, but really, when it comes to individual decisions that we make and choices, whether to leave a job, stay with a job, leave an organization, stay with an organization, buy into a cause, leave a cause, leave a movement, buy into a movement, whatever it may be, a lot of the reasons we make for those decisions are internal to us, and often the stated reasons are not the real reasons, and we can at times when we're criticised for those decisions feel like no one understands the circumstances and rationale for making them and the reality is that people, famous people, public profile people, whether sports entertainment, music, movies, business make decisions for all sorts of reasons that are basically the same ones we, reasons we make, they're just vastly higher dollar signs involved but in some senses the stakes are the same they don't know that things are going to succeed, they may have a nicer cushion to fall on if the decision doesn't work out all of these basketball players who are making these decisions are falling back onto you know 20 million dollar a year (laughs) pillows as it were but even so there are real human and personal stakes that are involved and they are very very challenging and highly personal no matter the amount of external visibility that that they possess so it will be incredibly interesting to see what comes of the Kevin Durant Draymond Green situation what that is actually what that has shown, what that has exposed, what that will result in in the long run but we likely will not know for at least till at least the end of this season possibly longer what in fact that actually occurs, but it will be fascinating to see if and when we do. With so many of these things, we actually often don't find out that until far later on that the speculation we had was in fact correct And that a lot of the gossip and the scuttlebutt was in fact correct but Given that there are so many factors and in interplays and moving parts involved it will be Quite interesting to see what the rest of the season for the Golden State Warriors shows is this merely a public bump in the road that happened, to something that happens to plenty of teams that happen to get out or is this in fact a exposure of deep fissures and fractures within the team that will only become more and more apparent as the season goes on and actually lead to the end of their dynasty? We shall see. Cheers.